Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men de-reconstructing the South. So I just got done talking with Dale about this. Um, um, the whole Tim Keller thing. Uh, yes. Tim Keller, John Piper, those guys, and they're always punching towards the right and never punching towards the left. Um, uh, Dale is under the... I'm, I'm just trying to strike up a line of thought in the topic, so if, if we need to go somewhere else, we can't, but Dale is of the view that um, that winsome nature that Big Eva is talking about using these conversations and having a prime. Yep. You're fine. Um, so the, the winsome nature in which Big Eva wants to talk about sin in the world and the um, tendency of Big Eva to punch towards the theological right. Um, Dale seems to think is a biblical approach. You should be more concerned about error from the inside than you are about the world being demonic. But the error from the inside, the error from the inside, isn't coming from the right wingers. Though it's literally coming from the dangers with outside. So, right. But, but like, so the, what, what, so, what, well, if he's going to put, yeah. you know, the constantly punching left is, you know, isn't what's. It, it's what's wrong. Like the left is is where you should be punching because that's where all the heresy comes from. So. <clears throat> I agree with that. Um, Dale's position is that the, the, the Tim Kellers are so um, immersed in Mordor that all their conservative theological takes have to be balanced in their circumstance because when you spend 40 years in Mordor treating orcs for sin, um, you will have sympathies towards the orcs that you probably shouldn't have. And so it's easy to sit on the outside and attack that when you're not immersed in it for that long. Is a compromise? Yes. Is a compromise that's understandable from Dale's position? Also, yes. Um, I, I don't think that it's that honest with Keller specifically. I don't think Keller is honest about his punching right. Let me let me put it that way. Um. But what we do need to be careful about, and where I think Gail has a point, 
is not being so quick to devour people because this is a tendency and it's a feminine tendency by the way to devour people just because they have an error so here's kind of my kickoff of the conversation what is the proper approach for dealing with people who are in very serious error be it theologically or be it culturally. I know this is kind of a nuanced topic, but I think we can tackle it in 30 minutes, just like shotgunning it. Cause we're, we're not going to spend four hours on this conversation, I mean, but we, that's kind of my, we can be winsome and nuanced on this very short podcast. <laughs> winsome and nuanced. Uh, I mean, and nuanced. In, in, in a way, I, I can kind of agree with that. Like, if it was just Keller having, you know, we're using Keller for an example, right? Or we can use John MacArthur, or not John MacArthur. John Piper. Let's use Keller as the face, because he's the big hot topic guy. Okay. Conversation. All right. So, well, we can use anybody, but Keller is just the guy that was in our conversation with Dale. Right. So, just that. So, so ba- basically the way that I see it, if it was just a few errors, then, oh yeah, he's fine. He's just another Presbyterian pastor. But it's when he literally... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, meant that, I meant that in the nicest way possible. I'm not saying that most yeah, Presbyterian pastors have like, gigantic errors. Okay. It's, it's, a, it's a winsome and nuanced position. <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. But... One th- you know, but the thing that I'm thinking about is, is it's not just a couple errors. Like he, he invited ballet dancers on the Lord's Day to dance before the sacraments. Oh, wait, I'm Baptist. Are the ordinances? Okay. So, <laughs> so, so I mean, that that's not a small. Like, that's literally the definition of strange fire, right? And you know, God killed people for that. Literally. Well, in addition to that, he is uh, playing into the theological Gnosticism of the day, which is critical race theory, um, and that, and that's a that's a very serious concern uh, from all sides right now. Um, it's a Gnostic way of viewing mankind, and that's that's what he's allowing to run, you know, roughshod over the gospel right now. That's a bigger concern. Um, yeah, it's another form of strange fire. I guess I'll put it that way. It, it, I mean, the, the way that we deal with it, I mean, obviously, is burning at the stake. Um, and, and here are, <laughs> here are five gos- gospel-centered reasons for why we should burn people at the stake. Uh, that was very <laughs> winsome and nuanced. It sounded like it could be like a uh, Babylon B or a um, ECG. Uh, article. I'm gonna have the free press, the free press of Wallachia, and and we're gonna have winsome and nuanced articles about you know impaling people. Right, but um, I, I'm gonna start this this uh, this 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 press. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, but but I mean no, seriously. Back on topic. How I mean how how should we deal with them? I mean, uh, we can start by what can we actually affect in that. If someone asks you how a book is, your 
not going to recommend Tim Keller. Uh, and I never understood that, like, whenever I was coming out, you know, I'm going to parallel this a lot with my Pentecostalism, how I dealt with that, leaving it, and how I deal with people still in it. Um, and that's, I don't recommend their materials because if they get one thing, then they're going to research the entire, everything behind them. Um, and then I also, if someone asked me about him, I'm honest, I'm like, you know, he's preached the gospel in New York City for quite a long time, but really he's just a damn Yankee. Um, he thinks like a Yankee and <laughs> he thinks like a Yankee and he's you know, a Yankee conservative, if he's even a conservative, really. Um, Folks, it'll be a cold day in hell if we don't blame something on the Yankee at one podcast. <laughs> am I am I wrong? He's in New York City. No, you're not. But okay. That's the funny part. <laughs> it's always the Yankees. <laughs> But but no, I mean that, that's essentially you know all I can do right now. I mean I might be able to you know go dunk and ratio them on Twitter, but eh, how much is that really proven? Or am I just wanting to? So know. I guess the I guess the the, the question here is because it's not just Keller, right? There's all kinds of guys across the board who have been you know the quote unquote bastion of Christianity for the last thirty years. Um, they've turned into celebrity pastors and everybody knows them. And, you know, some of these guys don't even have big churches, but they've got a bigger online following than they do people in their church. Um, and so how do you deal with that? I, I guess is, is really the, the question. Um, and, and how do you give proper grace to someone who's in serious error? Um, and, and I guess that's it, this is more of a <clears throat> it's more of a question of practice in terms of how we approach somebody uh, internally, for lack of a better way of putting it. Because my approach, um, you know, Piper, for instance, anything before five years ago, I would recommend read from Piper. Because I think Piper was really good about some things. And I think he was solid enough where I could probably give an unreserved recommendation. But the last five years, I've, I would be hesitant to recommend anything that he's done. And, and that's because he's gotten so weak. And I think very effeminate. Um, and you should not recommend the bad work that he's done. Uh, um. So, so I've got similar takes. I, I think there's some Piper work that's good, um, and and of course Piper, yeah, while he has gone off the rails and he has become a liberal, um, maybe he always was. I don't. He grew up in Minnesota. Well, he didn't grow up, but he was pastored in Minnesota for quite some time. Um, but his a lot of his earlier work was good, and and his impact when he left his church. And then started railing against C on on CRT or anything like that. It, it was fairly irrelevant. Like I never heard of anything that he done after he retired, right? Um, right. So, but someone like Tim Keller, who's pushing that from a very lofty platform, you know, he's not retired. So I, I, I guess I would hold him to a higher standard and. Only, and I would not recommend his books versus Piper. 
because of that that impact. It's it's kind of a case by case basis, I think. Right. So the you know we can deal with somebody who's not really going along with wokeness but has some serious errors. Like I would say, John MacArthur. I, I don't think he's in danger, like souls in danger or anything like that. I would not even go close to that far. But I think he's seriously wrong about his eschatology, for instance. Um, I think he's wrong on covenant theology, which has almost universal ramifications on how he reads the text. Um, I would recommend some sermons and some books by him. Um, I, I think his uh, <clears throat> I think his presentation on baptism is a little lacking because he doesn't deal with the covenantal aspect of it. He doesn't properly distinguish between the Baptist covenantalism and the Presbyterian covenantalism. But I think that, um, uh, for instance, there's a, a sermon series that he did on the prophecies and the history behind the idea of the Messiah and how Christ fulfilled all of those prophecies. Uh, and I think he had a book on that as well. I would highly recommend that. I mean, he's he's very thorough, very complete um, with his his analysis. Um, excellent, excellent, excellent. When it comes to that, that's that's some stuff that I don't see coming from a lot of the reformed groups because they're more concerned with soteriology and they're more concerned with covenant theology and they're not they're a little less concerned about the the uh, the tradition and the the history behind things like that, and I think I think MacArthur fills a niche in that area that uh, it would benefit the Reformed camp. So that that's another. I mean, he's he's less of a hostile um, uh, persona because he's not giving into the wokeness. You know, he didn't shut down his church. He's not requiring his people to take jabs. He's not requiring them to, to wear face masks. He's not requiring them to, uh, you know, he's he's standing in abject rejection of all of this insanity in the world today, despite some of the errors he might have theologically. So there's a um, a difference in how we should approach going in line with what you're talking about, this case-by-case basis. You know, this is kind of one of those things where John MacArthur has been pretty consistent. There isn't some radical deviation in his theology or in his practice or anything. Whereas I think with Piper, there has been a radical deviation, which is why my, you know, roughly stated five-year interval of this line between what I would recommend and what I would be hesitant to recommend, or even this progression that Keller seems to have had over the years, over the last few decades. Oh, I mean, even taking someone that, you know, I think we both still greatly respect, um, you know, Doctor White, e- even you know, applying this same standard to him, um, I think he's got great stuff. I think he's wrong now, but he still has great stuff, and I would still highly recommend him to most people. Uh, in case the people listening want to know, it, it the the whole I think that he's wrong is he's taking was it Strahan's side in the whole um, um, doctrine of God issue. Yeah, the doctrine of God attacking- issue. He's attacking Davenant and he's attacking Josh Summer um, over the Aristotelian uh, virtues, the Platonic ideals, and the Socratic methods that have been a part of the Christian tradition 
you know, since Christianity became a thing back when Christ arrived. Um, they're not, those ideas are not foreign. They're not distinct um, in terms of, you know, oh, let me, let me, re, let me go back and rephrase it this way. Um, the language that we use to describe God and the nature of God is intimately familiar with the Aristotelian thought. And you cannot describe the nature of God without getting into Aristotelian logic. That's just a reality. And, and Aristotelian philosophy, even. It's just a reality. It's, it's, it's something that was developed all of the arguments about the nature of God, the Trinity, how the Trinity interacts, um, uh, God's impassibility, the uh, immutability of God, the, you know, the, the uh, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence of God. All of these were, were these ideas, these concepts that were born out of uh, Greek modes of thought. It's unavoidable. Um, and somehow James White wants to keep all of these doctrines that were developed with a mode of thought, but he wants to remove the mode of thought from these doctrines, and he can't really do that. Right, well, I mean, what it sounds like to me, the whole argument it is, is um, it, in one way it's kind of like how many how many uh, angels can dance on the head of a needle. That's what a lot of this nerd stuff, I, I call it nerd stuff. Um, <laughs> and don't get me wrong. I would disagree it's, that it's strictly nerd stuff. I, I, it's I'm, not. I'm adding I mean, this as a qualifier, because whether God is impassable or whether God the Son is eternally sub, uh, uh, eternally subjected to the Father. Like that, that is a big Christological heresy that you deal with because you you start you start dealing with the relationship between the persons of the Trinity in eternity, as opposed to how they function in the uh, the covenant. Well. Right, I'm not saying it's strictly nerd stuff. Like I'll get into a little bit of the ESS debate. I don't debate anyone. I just more of talk it and think it out myself, and talking back right. and forth with you. Um, but the whole Aristotelian thought—that's philosophical nerd stuff, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> that that's well, that, that mostly what I was. talking about. We use about. these terms to describe God, though. Is my point. And 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 what you're getting into, James White, you know. This is where I think he, he, he he's wrong. Uh, it, let me let me put it this way: like with James White, I would, without any reservation, recommend James White and Dan Wallace on uh, on uh, textual criticism. I wouldn't even think about it. I would point you to them immediately because they do the best work, frankly. Um, but about this doctrine of God and this this use of philosophy and in, in theology, I think James White's just wrong about it. And it's Sorry, really, I interrupted your thought there. And it's really not even like that he's wrong about it. I can deal if he was wrong about it, but he's misrepresenting the other side. Like That's one of the things. It, yes. Okay, so to bring up another controversy, the whole Kenism debate that's been going on the last couple of days. Look, I, I'm not a Kenist. There I said it. I'm not a Kenist, but it's not a damnable heresy. And why can't you at least steel man your position and actually like listen to them because maybe they just didn't pull that doctrine out their bunghole. 
just maybe. Right. Well, and I, and I think um, I think the additional element here is that so you know I was I've been on Facebook long enough where I remember all of the Christian identity chemists, you know the the fledgling birth of the whole Wignat thing online started getting into the reformed groups. I remember all the reading that people had about, you know, well, you're just racist in, in response to legitimate, um, honest desires for conversation on the other side. Um, I won't defend CI because CI is evil. It denies image bearers. Uh, it denies fellow image bearers. Um, I, I'm a little hesitant with the Wignat for some reasons. Um, I'm I'm less so about the the Kinism thing because I think the Kinism, I think they have some really good points about some of the things they talk about, and I, I align um, with, with especially with the love of your family and your extended family, and then your your community and your people after that. I think that, I think those are laudable good things. I think they're found in scripture. I don't think you can really argue with that. I would more have an argument with, um, uh, you know, segregation in the church, for instance. Um, I don't, I don't think that that's even remotely acceptable. I think Paul was very clear about that when Peter tried to give um, Jews preeminence inside the church. Uh, he didn't exclude them from worship. He just didn't associate with the Greeks. And Paul got on to him about that. Um, I think that's a huge issue so, with with some some individuals, I'll say. So, so I'm in some chemist groups, and I remember having a conversation. You're like, look, I, I'm, I'm not a chemist. I'm, I'm not. But I, I mean, I'm closer to y'all than I am most other people. So... You know, and he's like, well, do you believe that um, blacks and whites are required to worship together? And I said, required? No, but we shouldn't be able to kick them out. Like, you know, Paul's very clear on this. They are our brother in Christ. They are our equal inside the church. But, I mean, if the black folks want to have their own black church and the white folks want to have their own white church, go for it. But you can't kick one another out. Um, It's just not biblical. And I think I think the lack of honest conversation with chemists has been an issue. Um, there's been a lot of straw men being thrown at chemists, and I and I don't want to do that. I'm not I'm not here for that. Uh, and I'll call them out at the risk of being called whatever name somebody wants to call me for doing that. Um, there ought to be honesty. There ought to be uh, good faith discussions. Um, and there ought to be a genuine love. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these conflicts, I, I guess one takeaway that I'd like to have from this podcast specifically is I think there's a lot of uh, instances on all sides where there's a lack of grace that we're required to give both grace and love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we don't do that. Uh, and that's to our shame and to our detriment. Um, and it's not about just 
um, allowing error. I don't think there's this, I don't think there's a dichotomy between allowing error and being nice versus, you know, being a jerk and correcting error. I, th- I think there's quite the ability to correct error with love and in good faith. And uh, we should see more of that. There's people that eventually you have to cut off. I mean, this is church discipline, right? Um, you have to go through the four stages of church discipline or, you know, if there's a, a incredible sin being committed, then you have to take it to the, to a further step. Um, especially if it's public. Um, but I think the grace and the love needs to be included in even excommunication. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, because excommunication is, as Paul says, turn him over, over to the devil that he might repent. Um, excommunication yeah. is meant to get you to come to repentance. It's literally an exiling. I mean, if you were in a Christian country, you would be exiled from that country. And the and the whole thing, you know, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they do not have a desire for reconciliation, um, then the, you know they're not really of the body, and that's that's an issue, right? That's that's where you have a serious problem. Um, and there should be this desire for reconciliation, in spite of any disagreements we may have. Um, and a, a genuine push towards the truth because our, our greatest allegiance is to Christ his kingdom um, over and above beyond anything and it doesn't take away any of the other factors you know that whole abused passage if there's there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither male nor female um, you know that's an abused passage because everybody just wants to equalize everyone and you know that's not everybody's not equal it's just a reality of life if you can't accept that, then I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say to you. Um, if that offends your modernist sim- sensibilities, then I'm sorry that you're offended. Uh, I don't hate you. This is not said out of any mean-spirited, you know, desire of mine. It's just a simple fact of reality. Um, however, um, even despite those differences, there isn't this superiority that one group has over the other. Men are not superior to women, despite what many in the quote-unquote traditional groups, the conservative groups, want to think. Um, Women are equal shares in salvation with men, and they 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 are made to do a different thing than men. Um, So they, they are image bearers alongside men and they said their 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 duty according to god is to submit to you willingly in marriage uh and you specifically not all men one woman is su- supposed to submit to one man and you are they are supposed to, to to live alongside you and be your help me that does not make them inferior to you <laughs> um Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no, um, I was just listening to you go on. Uh, I, I would actually change the wording a bit, and I would say that they were they are 
not ontologically inferior, inferior, and we're not ontologically superior, but within roles and functions that yeah, um, that in certain roles and functions, men are superior to women, and then stuff like you know, I don't know, birthing a child, females are far superior to men. That that's the only thing I would right. disagree with that. So that's a good that's a good qualification. Um, I, my comment was not meant to mean mechanical equality. Right. That, that, that's that was kind of my my point earlier. So that's a good that's a good catch. There isn't a mechanical equality. There's an equality before the throne. There's an equality before Christ. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my in my household, each of the people inside my household have to repent, believe in Christ, and profess allegiance to Christ to be saved. They are not saved because I am saved. And that even goes for my wife. However, um, despite that, if there's something going on in my home, God will come to me because I am responsible for my home. So there's an equality in one sense and there's a lack of equality in another. God will not go to my wife about an error in my home. God will come to me because I am the I am the king of my home. I am the prophet of my home. I am the priest of my home. And so those roles which I am required to function in, God will hold me to account for how I rule my little kingdom. So hopefully that clarifies that a bit. Uh, it does. It does. Uh, we're right at 30 minutes, so technically about 25 minutes. Um, anywhere you wanted to lead this to kind of wrap up? Because we're only getting, we're not going to go a full hour and a half this time. Cause... I don't know. I mean, I guess the, the point I was trying to get at was the grace, but, you know, we have to eventually cut people off, right? There's a point where things have gone too far. Um, and there's at least, in the very least, there has to be a lack of esteem that's given uh, due to grave, gross negligence, error. Um, that, you know, the, the example I gave when we were talking the other day about this is if there's a watcher on the wall looking for the enemy, if they're either in being paid by the enemy, to ignore the enemy's troop movements or they're just functionally incapable of discerning between the enemy and the shadows it makes no difference to whether they should be on the wall or not in either case they should not be on the wall because they're incapable of performing their job one is of greater um, uh, responsibility because it has to do with their ability and their conscious assent to betray the community. But the other is functionally betraying the community because they're not fulfilling the duty that they're called to do. So either if it's maliciousness or if it's inability, they should lose a lack of esteem. And then you should be able to judge from there whether it, it should be a, a, a harsher penalty. Right. 
and another another thing you know, you were talking about watchers on the wall. I think I think some people they've been a watcher on the wall too long that everybody looks like enemies, right? So, I mean, yes. Take take someone like um, oh I don't know J D Hall, okay. Mm. In my opinion, he done some bang up good stuff. He did fabulous work on exposing like you know word of faith heresies and such but then he goes and then he just writes absolutely salacious articles against faithful men for very minor errors in my opinion very minor errors um well so there's definitely a balance between the two and, and I, I think finding that balance is good i mean yeah we can rail against you know timothy keller on twitter until the cows come home but at the end of the day if that's all we do then we're no better than pulpit and pen which is in all honesty pulpit and pen is literally the the national inquirer of reform <laughs> Yes. Hold on. If you yeah. think about it, that's ab- go to their website. It is so cluttered with web traffic, like not web traffic, but um, ads and stuff like that. And I'm like, clickbait. Like all their titles are clickbaity. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, lit- I'm not joking when I said literally the National Enquirer. Um, yeah. And, and I'm not saying you know like. You know, if we're still ranking what's worst, I think TGC is still far worse than Pulpit and Pen is. I really do. Um, but it is. I mean, they're they're the New well, York Times, right? So they're still crap newspaper. <laughs> so the I guess the two errors are um, this lethargic approach to error, which you would see on the Keller side, and this seeing every everything as a nail because you're a hammer approach. These are two errors. Uh, and, and I think both are um, you know, I'm, I'm going to get blowback for this, but I think both are feminine. Um, I think there needs to be a reasoned steady principled, like godly principled approach to everything that we do. Um, and it needs to be well thought out. It needs to be well uh, researched. You need to know what you say before you speak. Um, and speak the truth in love. A genuine desire to see that person reconciled with God with whatever error they're taking. And don't make too big of a deal out of things, like you're saying, or J.D. Hall. Like, if something's not that big of a deal, don't make it a big deal. I mean, I fear our side that everybody wants to be a new John Knox, right? They want to be like, oh, give me America else I die. My fa- my favorite quote that, you know, that I quote for myself all the time is give me Dixie else I die. So everybody wants to be a, a, a John Knox, but nobody wants to put the work in that he's actually, they, all they want to do is write nothing but copies of monstrous regime of women and they don't want to actually take the time and actually establish something that's going to last for you know centuries right right well and and i'm i'm gonna also say this i think there are some guys with 
with really good home lives that have maybe gotten a little too carried away and they just need to tone it down some. Um, I, and, and there's also a tendency on the right side of these issues to see enemies in every shadow. Um, and they're too quick to condemn people or to be suspicious of people. And there needs to be some moderation in our caution or whatever you want to call it. I would say caution. Um, when it comes to people and them just having a different take than you. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a good way of putting it. Cause I, I, I can, I've seen some discussion where there's, it's just a matter of a disagreement on the nature of the error instead of, you know, they believe in the same principles, they believe in taking the same routes, they believe in doing the same things, but it's just a difference in how you ascribe uh, concern or blame or whatever else. Um, something that small of a disagreement seems to be a big deal sometimes, and I don't think it should be. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, to another degree, I'm going to keep bringing up other examples, but uh, the arguments between the abolitionists and the pro-life movement, right? Uh, some want progressive change. They want to get any ground that they can. Now, I'm not talking about pro-life Inc. I'm just talking about someone like me who's not an abolitionist but is pro-life, right? So I want to see all abortion outlawed, and I want to see the women that try to get abortions prosecuted. But at the same time, I'm willing to take whatever the flip I can get to stop murdering babies. Right, and... and um. So this is a good, a good thing uh, to to talk about. You know the the AHA guys, the abolish human abortion guys. Um, I I'm not going to say this of every rank and file within them, but the organization itself reeks of a cult. Um, they, you know, James White, for all his faults, is deeply invested with Jeff Durbin. And Jeff Durbin has done everything from standing outside abortion clinics to going to city, city council meetings, talking about abortion for the last, what, 15 years? Um, and they've been doing this work consistently. It's, it's not like a once-in-a-while thing. They have a whole organization surrounding it. I was at a G3 conference um, he was at the, the, the specific one where uh, James White de debated Trent Horn. And the AHA guys did a, tried to ambush James White and call him a heretic because he wasn't strong enough against abortion. That kind of stuff is just like it, it, it comes across as if you're in a cult. And that's a, you know, they, they get their, they get their, their whole shtick from the abolitionists, um, which is, you know, there were, there were a bunch of commies, just being honest. Um, and, you know, anybody in the South, when we talk about abolitionists, they automatically know the dangers there, especially if you've read Dabney and you're aware of what's going on with the whole 
Jacobin influence. If you just know um, who John Brown is, you'll know why abolitionists need to get the spike. Correct. So that's that kind of a mentality. Uh, you have people on the correct side of these issues taking that mode of being and they're attacking people on their own side. Um, which is r- ridiculous, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean... And then that's always been my issue with those, with those people that, you know, call themselves the abolitionists. Like... <clears throat> I've seen people literally um, borderline condemn someone to hell because they're not out there in front of the abortion mills every time it's open. And I'm like, bro, I, somebody has to work, right? <laughs> not not everybody can, you know, go and take Tuesdays off and sit in front of the abortion mill. But praise God for you. I'm glad you can do it. But I, you're the hand. I'm the foot. You know, you... you <laughs> well, it's the... It's the... They're, they're trying to be the, the right-wing version of Antifa, right? And, you know, none of these guys actually have... I, I don't think any of these guys have a job. Maybe they do. Um, but that, that's like their whole their whole life is devoted towards this thing. And like you're saying, I mean, they're standing outside of abortion clinics. I'll be all for them. I'll support them in that. Uh, those people who are trying to destroy and, and murder their babies need to repent and believe in Christ. Um... But, um, you know, don't attack people who have a job and are trying to work provide for their family and can't do all the activism that you're doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, I could actually probably go down another rabbit trail with that whole activism thing, um, but I think I'll save that for another night. <laughs> yeah, it's probably good. Yeah. Um, so do you want to go ahead and wrap it up? Yeah, um, I guess the, the, the kind of thrust, we seem like we're just meandering all over the place. Um, I, I think that uh, two things. One, you know, I mentioned this earlier, we need to, you know, have reasoned, rational, godly principled criticisms that are delivered with love. Um, and, and I think that uh, the second thing is we probably need to be slower to speak about some things, um, especially when it comes to an attack, not a criticism, but an attack. We should be slower to attack. Um, there's a time to attack, but not every time is a time to attack. So I, I guess that's my two big takeaways. And don't attack your damned co-belligerents, okay? Do not just because they're not going as far right as you are, does not mean they're not an ally. Uh, me and you were talking about this earlier, but people were were essentially saying that they, you know, they wouldn't fight in the trenches beside men like Douglas Wilson and Michael Foster because they're the new gatekeepers. As you said to me in the in you know in our DMs they've earned the right to be gatekeepers right now and just because they don't follow you down whatever rabbit hole you want to go down um does not mean they're your enemy okay let's 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 jump on their bus and take them you know go to where they're stopping at and then we can go further later 
Don't attack it. Just don't attack your allies when you're at war. It's not a smart battle plan. And, and don't snatch an L from a W. You know, <laughs> don't snatch the loss from the jaws of victory. You know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like the um, the okay. So we're we're gonna take the it, fingers crossed and praying that. Uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned, and if it's overturned, that's going to be a huge W. But there's still going to be oh, yeah. abortions in certain states. But hey, mm-hmm. if 20 states outlaws abortions, praise God. Now we only have got 30 to worry about. You know, I'm I'm this is a, this is a praise for me seeing my state take the forefront attack assault on Roe v. Wade has been. I'm, 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 I feel a little pride for it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. You know, uh, good old Mississippi, man. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I think, I think we're going to be better off. I, I, I'm praying. I'm hopeful. Maybe I shouldn't be as hopeful as I am, but I'm hopeful that, um, I've been, I've been, I follow a few law, lawyers on, on YouTube and, um, you know, from a from the way that the the courts have looked at things, especially recently, and because of the judges that that Trump has put in, I I think there's a good chance. I think it's going to happen. Maybe I'm being too hopeful, but I'm 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 I think it will. Well, I mean, if so, then praise God. If not, then we'll get him again next time. And then after that, Obergefell, and then after that, Casey, and then after that, we can just knock all of them down. All the way back, and then we'll just go straight back to the Tenth Amendment, cut off that bottom half of the Constitution. <laughs> and if they don't like it, then we'll just succeed. Hey, I, I'm yeah, all, right. I heard California wants to succeed, and I'm all for California going its own way. Praise yes, God for please them. do that. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll pray for John MacArthur that he doesn't get drowned in the, the wave of trainees coming his way. As a, as a thought experiment, say say if California was to go and the union decided to draft members to, to fight to keep California in the union, would you go to California and fight, or would you fight in the union? Ha-ha. <laughs> I, I, would do, uh, I would do neither. I would just not participate. You're no fun at either or. <laughs> yeah, I would just not participate. I would encourage everybody not to participate. Maybe I'll have my habeas corpus suspended. And, you know. you'll, you'll have a garden hose shoved down into your stomach and you'll be filled up with like three gallons of water. Until yeah, you confess. Like Whatever. Confess my, my treason for not joining a war that's unjust. Right. But... Well, cool. Well, I'm going to go ahead and hit stop recording now. We'll see you find people that, that's listening to us in your earbuds in the next podcast. This is NPR signing out. <laughs> hey, y'all. Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gap. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, 
and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at southernraisedbluegrass.com. God bless y'all. Just